Welcome to Financial Bliss with Kelly Long, where we get to the root cause of whatever it is that's holding you back from making the most of your finances. I'm your host, Kelly Long, a CPA, certified financial planner, and personal finance specialist. Whether you're feeling anxiety, fear, or just plain information overload, my goal here is to help you move forward with confidence and clarity and help you find your own version of financial bliss. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Financial Bliss with Kelly Long. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited about this episode because it gives me a chance to get into a common conversation that I have with clients who are wanting to start saving for the future, but they don't know where to start because it's all so intimidating with all the rules and the jargon, and it just seems like this foreign world that's totally unfamiliar and inaccessible, which I totally get. There is a lot of jargon which is why I'm gonna do my best to avoid that here, or when I do use it, I'll break it down in plain English first so you can start to learn the lingo. Besides all the jargon and the finance bro talk out there, a common roadblock that my clients express is that they've heard that before you start saving in an investment account, you need a goal. And that goal should be smart. You know, It should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based, just like you've heard in those corporate planning meetings, which, When working toward a goal that takes persistence and motivation and detailed action steps to get there, that can be absolutely helpful to have. But what if you don't know all of that? You don't know what you're specifically saving for, or you don't know exactly how much it should be, or you're not sure when you'll need it. What if you just know that you don't want to wait any longer to start saving in a more growth-oriented way than just putting it in the bank, because someday you'd like to have the option to retire or at least dial it back a little on the work effort? What if your goal is to just optimize your money, but you want to keep your future options open with that money as much as possible because you recognize that it's kind of silly to get too specific with your plans beyond like two years max. I mean, sometimes two months is too far to plan ahead, right? I totally get it. I was just grousing to my husband about making too many plans in September when it's just June. Now, besides wanting to do this just because you want to optimize your money, You've probably also heard that it's important to choose the right account to start saving into. And if you haven't heard that, that is important. Meaning, should you start investing in a retirement-focused account? And if so, what type of retirement account? Or should you start investing in what's often called a taxable brokerage account, which is literally just an account that you open at a brokerage company like Charles Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity or any of the other Wall Street investment management firms to invest in the stock market that doesn't have any restrictions on how much you can put in or take out or when. That's kind of what a taxable brokerage account is. Or should you start investing in savings bonds or real estate or a 529 education savings plan or your HSA? It can make your head spin. It's important to get this one right, though, because some of those accounts do have rules that require you to either keep the money in the account until a certain age, or they dictate what you can spend the money on once it's in there. Or there are different ways that the income you make on the money is taxed. Or there are limits on how much you can put in each year, etc., etc. And if you break the rules, then you're at risk of penalties and unnecessary taxes, like paying an extra 10% to the IRS for money that you take out of a retirement account before you're 59 and a half unless it's for certain specific things, which those things also vary by account type, or paying an extra 20% to the IRS if you use your HSA for non-healthcare expenses. It's very confusing, I know. But that's why I'm here doing this podcast, to hopefully take some of that mystery away and to hopefully help clear up some of the confusion 
so you can cut through the noise and know what's best for you and your goals. Now, it is called personal finance for a reason because it's personal, which means that what I'm about to share doesn't mean it's for everyone. But when I get to talking with people who, A, know that they want to start investing for the future and understand that doing so will put their money at risk of short term fluctuations in value, and B, don't really have a specific goal in mind, but know that they don't need the money they're going to invest for at least several years, if not decades, and C, or C, I guess I should say, they also have conflicting things that they might need money for in the future. And finally, D, it freaks them out a little bit to think about putting their money into an account for retirement only, but they do want to be saving for retirement, at least in some way. If that sounds like you, then my suggestion is almost always to start with the Roth IRA. And for the rest of this episode, I'm going to explain why. So first, let me take a hot minute and make sure we're clear on what a Roth IRA even is. It's named after a senator whose last name was Roth. IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. Now you could look this up on Investopedia, but just to be sure, the Roth IRA is a type of investing account whose primary purpose is to allow you to save money for retirement in a way that offers better tax benefits than if you just put your money into a regular investment account, which I mentioned before is sometimes called a brokerage account or a taxable investment account. I think what's often confusing about all of this is that a lot of people think the Roth IRA is an investment itself. Like you can buy a Roth IRA like you would buy a savings bond or a mutual fund. So like a common question I receive as a financial coach is, how much does a Roth IRA pay or what's the interest rate of a Roth IRA? Now the truth is that a Roth IRA is really just a regular investment account. It's like a shell dressed up in some special rules that make it a more tax preferred way to invest than a non-retirement account. Then once you deposit money into your Roth IRA, you can choose investments just like you would in a non-retirement investing account. But it's those special rules for Roth IRAs that make it such an attractive place to get started on that saving for the future journey. Because while I said the Roth IRA's primary purpose is to save for retirement, if you end up needing it for other life goals in the meantime, the potential tax consequences and penalties are a lot less or non-existent when compared to other types of retirement accounts like 401ks or traditional pre-tax IRAs. And I'll explain how in a minute. I think most people know that Roth IRAs have two limits that are important to know, but let's review just to be sure. The first limit is the contribution limit or the amount that you can deposit into the account with new dollars each year. For 2023, that limit is $6,500 for people under age 50 and $7,500 if you're 50 or older. Now the other limit is the income limit. Meaning once your income is over this limit, the IRS says you're not allowed to make direct deposits or contributions to a Roth IRA. I talked about this quite a bit in episode seven before this one, but just in case, I'll say it again. First, remember that this is the Roth IRA, not the Roth 401k, which actually doesn't have income limits in the 401k. So in 2023, if you're filing as a single taxpayer, the ability to contribute directly to a Roth IRA starts to phase out once your income hits $138,000. And then once you get to $153,000, then you can't make direct contributions to a Roth IRA at all for that tax year. That's for 2023. For people who are married filing jointly, that phase out is between $218,000 and $228,000. Meaning that if you and your spouse's combined modified adjusted gross income is over that limit, you can't make contributions to a Roth IRA. (sighs) Not to get too technical here. But notice that I said modified adjusted gross income. So it's not just your salaries added together, 
It's all of the income you earn less certain deductions that us tax nerds call above the line deductions. If you Google that, you'll be able to find it. So above the line deductions include things like student loan interest or pre-tax 401k contributions, any health insurance premiums you pay out of your paycheck or as a self-employed person, HSA contributions, and for my teachers, that piddly little $300 deduction that you can take for supplies you purchase for your classroom, that's an above the line deduction. So if you're married and your combined salary is another income like interest on your high yield savings account is say 240,000, you might think you're over the limit. But let's say you also put the maximum of 7750 into your HSA, plus you're both putting 10% into your pre-tax 401k at work. Then your modified adjusted gross income or your MAGI, as you might hear it called, is going to be less than 210,000. So you'd actually still be able to make contributions to a Roth IRA, even though your combined salaries gross are $240,000. Now, when you contribute to a Roth IRA, you'll get a tax form from the financial institution that holds the account, but you won't deduct any of that from your current tax return because one of the cool rules about Roth IRAs is that when you withdraw the money in the future, as long as it's deemed what's called a qualified withdrawal, you won't pay taxes on any of it, even if the original amount has been like doubled or tripled or more. The only other place that this is possible is with the HSA, the health savings account. So like if you're 40 and you put $6,500 a year into your Roth IRA from now until you're 60, which is basically when you can start making tax-free withdrawals for any reason at all, you'd put in a total of $130,000 over those 20 years. Now, assuming that the stock market does what it's traditionally done and returns on average about 10% over those 20 years, at age 60, your account could be worth over $370,000, which is almost triple what you put in. And that's not even accounting for the fact that the limits increase over time. So you're probably going to be putting more than $6,500 in the future, especially once you're 50, because then you can tack on another $1,000 per year. So which means that in the year you're 60, in this example, if you wanted to buy a house or a boat or a business or whatever, and you needed $370,000, you could just blow up that Roth IRA and pay cash without paying any taxes. You can't really do that if you were saving that money in like a regular brokerage account or if you had it in a pre-tax IRA or a 401k. Now, the other important thing to know about the Roth IRA and the first way that it can help to overcome some of those fears and roadblocks that might keep you from getting started and this is really important to understand, is that you can withdraw your contributions at any time without penalties, without taxes. See, because you didn't get any type of tax benefit for putting the money in, you can actually take it back out if you want, no restrictions. Now, there are some common misconceptions around this little fact that I wanna clear up here. First of all, The ability to take out contributions at any time without penalty or taxes only applies to money that you put directly in to the Roth IRA, also known as contributions. Otherwise, there is a five-year waiting period before that withdrawal would be not taxed as income or subjected to a 10% early withdrawal penalty. So for example, if your income exceeds the Roth IRA contribution limits, then you can use the backdoor Roth IRA strategy unless or until Congress closes the loophole. And that's one way to get money into the Roth IRA. But then the five-year rule applies. And the same thing would go for any conversion of funds from a regular or traditional IRA or 401k. You have to wait five years after you performed that conversion to withdraw the amount that you converted. Now, this is especially confusing because there's another five-year rule that says in order to make qualified withdrawals from a Roth IRA, which is basically withdrawing any growth 
without having to pay taxes or penalties, you have to have had a Roth for at least five years prior to that withdrawal. A lot of people get confused about this and they think that you have to wait five years to take anything out, but it's just the growth. Money that was directly contributed, meaning your income was below the limits and you just deposited money directly into your Roth IRA, can come out five days after the account is opened if necessary. So this five-year rule usually comes into play when someone's getting ready to retire and they're working to beef up their savings, so they open up their first Roth IRA, say like three years before they're going to retire, and they start putting the maximum amount in. So they're already over the age of 59 and a half, which is the number one rule for withdrawing your growth tax and penalty-free. But you also have to meet that five-year rule for the account to have existed. So they need to wait two more years and just let that money ride for a bit. Although they could take out any contributions that they put in, assuming they were direct contributions. Okay, I hope we're clear that when you put money into a Roth IRA through a direct contribution, you can withdraw that money, that original deposit, whenever, should you need it. So it's kind of like saving for retirement, but with a safe out, should you need it. So like for those of us who are commitment phobic, you're like, oh, I don't know for sure. Like it makes me nervous to put this money away and kind of lock it up. The Roth IRA is the answer to your prayers because you, you're not, it's not locked up, but you're still taking advantage of the potential opportunity once you kind of get over that fear. There's no long-term commitment required. So this little nugget is often all that people need to know to overcome that resistance to putting money into kind of a retirement themed account. So this is my first official reason that I would say the Roth IRA helps to overcome money roadblocks. Now, knowing that you can withdraw your contributions at any time, tax and penalty free, brings me to the next reason I love the Roth IRA so much. And that's because it's super helpful for people who are faced with a choice of either increasing emergency savings or contributing to their retirement. And this often happens when you're working to pay off debt or you're feeling like you're getting a late start or especially for people very early on in their their wealth building journey, young people, early career, or even just recovering. And a Roth IRA can actually serve as both. In other words, simply making an eligible Roth IRA contribution instead of depositing that money into your emergency savings account can serve both as your emergency fund and your retirement savings fund until you've been able to accumulate adequate savings outside the Roth IRA. Wait, what? Aren't we talking about a retirement account and an investment account? And doesn't basically every personal finance person tell you that the last place you should put your emergency fund is into the stock market? Stick with me here because you're right. As a rule, when you're first building up your savings, you want to keep that money in cash because should you need it for, well, an emergency, you want to make sure you can get at it right away without worrying about having to sell investments that might have gone down in value since you put them into the market. So it's a really important caveat to note here that when you put funds into a Roth IRA for the dual purpose of saving for retirement while also providing funds in the event of an emergency, you should not be investing that money in the stock market until either the account balance in your Roth exceeds an appropriate amount for emergency savings or you've built up sufficient savings outside the Roth. So what you're really doing here is just planning for future tax-favored investing capabilities while taking advantage of your ability to contribute to a Roth, which could be limited in the future should you start making more money, especially if Congress closes the loophole into the backdoor Roth IRA. And also remember that this really only works with funds that you contribute directly and not through a conversion because of that five-year time limit. You want to make sure that you can withdraw those funds right away if you need them for an emergency. And this is true, again, the five-year rule is true regardless of your age. 
So the next way that I think the Roth IRA can help overcome money fears around conflicting savings goals is the fact that you can actually use it for a first time home purchase if you need some extra money to pad your down payment. Another way that this isn't like a total commitment to putting the money away for retirement. And that's because one of the exceptions to the 10% early withdrawal penalty from all IRAs is the ability to take out up to $10,000 for a first time home purchase. And that's regardless of your age, as long as you've had the Roth IRA or a Roth IRA for at least five years. However, the Roth IRA might actually be able to provide more than that $10,000 if you need it, because that exception applies only to funds that would otherwise be subjected to the 10% early withdrawal penalty, which your contributions are not. So really, a first-time homebuyer could withdraw up to $10,000 in account growth plus any contributions without having to worry about any taxes. That's right, the $10,000 in growth isn't taxed at all when you're using it for a first-time home purchase. So for example, let's say you've put in $35,000 into your Roth IRA over the years. So that's like the amount that you could take out at any time without problems. And that account has obviously grown above and beyond that. So in this case, the first-time home purchase withdrawal could be up to $45,000 without taxes or penalty. Now, a really interesting fact here is what the IRS considers a first-time homebuyer because it doesn't necessarily mean that you've never owned a home before. It just means that you've not owned a primary residence in at least two years. Now, this also applies if you're married. So if either of you owned a primary residence in the past two years and you're buying the home in joint name, then you wouldn't qualify. But you could have owned a home in another city. Maybe you move your rent for a couple of years to get your feet wet, decide where to buy, and then you qualify again as a first-time home purchase. However, the $10,000 first-time homebuyer exception is a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And like I said, that Roth IRA has to meet the five-year rule in order to withdraw that growth tax-free. So you'll want to make sure that you meet all of the requirements before you start making withdrawals. And there's also a time limit on when you have to actually complete the home purchase after the withdrawal is made. So you want to plan ahead to make sure that you're not taking the money out too soon before closing if you're going to be using it to put down on the property. Now, finally, I do have to say that this can be a not great use of your savings if the reason you're tapping your Roth is because you're low on savings at all to buy a house. The costs of buying a home go beyond just a down payment. And being able to afford the monthly mortgage is not the only thing you need to consider to figure out if you're ready to buy a home. So it's also really important to make sure that you have some savings on hand to pay for repairs and maintenance. And of course, all the trips to home goods and Ace hardware that you're going to be making in those first few months after you move in. So it's a good idea to do a cost benefit analysis to see if it makes good financial sense to use retirement savings to purchase a home. So for example, like if interest rates and other retirement savings would offset the opportunity cost of the potential loss of your future investment growth in your Roth, it can be a good strategy. But if you're tapping your Roth because you're looking at buying a place that's a financial stretch, it could be an indication that you might need to look in a lower price range or wait a little longer until you have more savings built up. That's a tough pill to swallow. And not to be a Debbie Downer, but I've seen too many people end up financially wrecked because they rush into buying a house before the finances were there. And then they ended up having to take on additional debt to deal with expensive repairs, which lead to a strain on cash flow in order to keep up with the payments on the credit cards. And it's just tough to see. I've talked more than one client out of buying a home before they were ready. So just make sure that you're using this strategy wisely and not just because you're buying out of your range. Okay, so the final way that the Roth IRA is a financial planning rock star is the fact that you can also use it as a bit of a backup education savings plan. And that's because another one of the exceptions to the early withdrawal penalty for all IRAs is to pay for qualified education expenses. 
However, unlike the first-time homebuyer exception, if you withdraw growth from your Roth to pay education, you will pay income taxes on the amount of that growth, just not a penalty. So should you rely on your Roth to be the end-all be-all savings vehicles for your kid's education? Definitely not. But it can serve as an excellent supplemental savings plan in situations where you might have uncertainty around how much savings you might end up needing for future education costs, or you just have conflicting priorities. There's not enough money to save for everything. Now, there are a lot of considerations that come into play when funding a college education, and I can't get into all of those right now in the interest of time. So for the purposes of this episode, I just wanted to point out that this is one of the ways that you can access your Roth IRA growth without paying that 10% early withdrawal penalty. This strategy can especially make sense for families where the need to provide education funding is uncertain, especially in earlier years, or where the family might otherwise qualify for need-based financial aid. That's because the Roth IRA isn't entered on the FAFSA form unless or until you spend some of it on education and it shows up as income on your tax return, but that has like a two-year lag time. And you don't have to include the balance of any retirement savings on the form. So it can be helpful in making sure you qualify for need-based aid and you would want to coordinate that if you think you would qualify for grants and such. Now, I also have to say that in the financial planning world, it's a commonly accepted rule of thumb that you should always prioritize retirement savings over paying your kids' college costs. Knowing that you can tap your Roth IRA to help pay some of the expenses can enable you to prioritize putting money into the Roth first before putting into a college savings fund without feeling like you're neglecting your child's future. But when it comes time to decide whether to use that Roth for college or to let it ride so you can retire when you're ready, I would say that you want to make sure you're not totally blowing up your ability to retire since they don't give out scholarships or loans for retirement. So to recap, Here are the four reasons I think the Roth IRA can overcome conflicts about prioritizing savings and uncertainty about your future. First, putting money into a Roth IRA is a bit of a fail-safe move because you can always change your mind and take your contributions out at any time without taxes or penalty. Now, once you start investing those contributions in the market, which is a best practice to maximize the tax savings of using the Roth IRA, you'll have to be aware of the risk of short-term loss which is why my second reason of using it as a backup emergency fund comes with a huge asterisk that you shouldn't start investing the money in the market until you're confident you won't be needing to make withdrawals of those contributions anytime in the near future. The third reason is that if in the future you decide to buy a home, you can take up to $10,000 of the growth out without taxes or penalties, plus all of your contributions if you need to, as long as you and your spouse, if you're buying the home in joint name, haven't owned a primary residence in the past two years. The fourth reason is that it can serve as a backup education savings fund for families who might need a little bit of a boost to pay college expenses. That's because withdrawals to pay for qualified education expenses are exempt from the 10% early withdrawal penalty in a Roth IRA. Now, a common question that comes up about all of this is whether you can do this with a Roth 401k or a 403b, which I'm glad you asked. Because while there are exceptions to the early withdrawal penalties with 401ks and 403bs, First-time homebuyer and education are not on the list. And the whole take your contributions out and leave the growth in thing also does not apply. If you make an early withdrawal from a Roth 401k, like before you're 59 and a half or before the account has been open for at least five years, then the amount that's considered a return of the basis or a return of your contributions is going to be proportionate to the growth. So like if you put in $1,000 and the account grows to $1,200, and then you go to withdraw that original $1,000, you'll actually still have to pay taxes on the proportionate share of the account that's growth. And that would be a penalty as well if you're under the age of 59 and a half. 
So to figure that out, you divide $1,000 by $1,200 and get 83%, meaning that 83% of that $1,000 or $830 would be a return of the contribution or basis, so not taxed, while the other $170 would actually be taxed and possibly penalized if it was coming out for a non-exception reason. Sorry about the math so late in the episode, but the bottom line is that with the Roth 401k and 403b, you can just extract the contributions from the growth like you can with a Roth IRA which I guess might be a fifth way that the Roth IRA is worth prioritizing with your savings. But that's, of course, once you put enough into your 401k or 403b to capture any matching dollars. As always, that was a lot. And if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. I'm going to link an article about this topic that I wrote for the Journal Accountancy in the show notes, so you can reference these rules later if needed. But just know that it's written for CPAs, so it's kind of in a businessy tone. Otherwise, if you have questions about this, or you want to request any topics for me to cover in the future, please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at financialblisscoach or through my website at financialblisscoach.com. But for now, this has been Kelly Long, and I hope this has helped you on your journey to finding financial bliss. Thank you for listening to Financial Bliss with Kelly Long. I hope you found a nugget to help you move toward your own financial bliss. Please take a moment to rate this podcast if you haven't already. Please note that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice, tax, investment, or otherwise. Kelly C. Long Consulting LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages rising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented presented in this podcast.